What's going on, everyone? It's Leifon here, and the crew has assembled. And welcome back to another podcast stream with the official Otago crew. And this is the very first episode of 2024. Now, guys, I'm very excited for this uh, particular topic. Now, I know it's a little late in the game, but we just didn't have the time. Seeing as we went and saw the movie, it's pretty obvious what it is at this point. And everyone went on vacation. We didn't want to bother anyone and and stuff like that to that degree. And so we're starting off 2024 with the Boy and the Heron movie review. And I'm very excited to do this because it's been 10 years almost in the making to do an anime movie review for this particular movie. Sorry. From Studio Ghibli. As the rest have come and gone, but this holds very special significance. With that, though, with that, I have to give a shout out to our other platforms. We have Anchor.fm, Spotify, as well as YouTube at the official Otaku Crew. I'll save uh, the rest of the call-outs at the very end. And so today I am joined by a few of my panelists. And so I wanted to do a little creative introduction for you guys. Now, of course, you know them. I know them. Best people I know. So we got Andy, the artist and Wreck the Endeavor in the house. So with that, now let's get on to this more serious business of the episode review. So this one is slightly linked to a previous episode we did where we discussed Studio Ghibli and environmentalism. In that episode, I gave a slight historical breakdown of the environmental movement in Japan at the time and Miyazaki's um, influence, so to say. But the thing is, this episode requires a bit, just a bit, I'm going to try my best, of historical background again, because Miyazaki is often taking from that time period of World War II. So you can't really discuss this episode without making some connection to the past. And I'm going to try to give that during the course of our discussion, as well as before we give our thoughts and impressions. So very simply, it's it goes something like this. Miyazaki was born January 4th, 1941, and only a few years later was the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This was around 1944, so maybe three three or four years in his youth that this happened. Now, during that course of years or so, the fire bombings were also taking place in Japan. Now, another movie was sprouted out from that, and that was The Grave of the Fireflies, which took place during the fire bombings. And so Japan at the time, a lot of the houses were built on wood and stuff, not like the current modern um, technologies as well as resources that are used to make house somewhat fireproof to a degree. That's all I want to say. I'm, I'm just making that connection. I'm not going to go any further. So, Rick, um, you, you want to say something? Sorry. Yes. First thing I would like to say is congratulations to this film. For anyone who has seen the Golden Globes, I believe it was... This past, no, the weekend before, where the boy and the heron won best animation in, out of all of them. So you even Disney lost to this film. So well, I Disney. Wanna say, I know, right? Sorry, I had to say it. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I saw their that film as well. I've seen quite a couple of animated features of twenty twenty three. But the boy and the heron, Ghibli just doesn't disappoint. I don't know how they managed to do that. Even with a 10-year gap that they did, they managed to still astound us 
even with the, all the tension, all the awakeness. I agree with you. And and just to build off that point, Rick, is that the last Ghibli film before this, that Miyazaki did specifically, not his son who made that abomination of a 3D movie, it was uh, where the wind rises. I, I think that was a, sorry, the wind rises back in 2014. And Miyazaki went into retirement at that point because he was done. But he came out of retirement again around 2017, 2018 and started working on The Boy and the Heron. But, but that is when we were getting closer to COVID. COVID came, everything went into lockdown. Everything shut down, basically. The whole world sort of stopped and that including himself. Yeah, that did cause a bit of a downfall in the expectations. Because think about it. It's like he returns and then he was told, to pause that kind of hits a little hard it's unfortunate because like he he was in the production of a great film and for all we knew that film could have came out a lot sooner than than now we probably would have seen it in 2020 but sadly you don't know where that went yeah it went uh, down the drain for lack of better words so i think now we have a fair understanding of the historical significance as well as just uh, elements behind the movie. So I'd, I would like to just dive right into the conversation of the movie itself. So uh, Andy, would you like to start us off? What did you like, dislike, thoughts, impressions, all that, all that jazz? Oh, sure. Well, I, I haven't seen too many Studio Ghibli movies in my life. Spirited Away is probably the only one from my childhood I, that I know. So when it comes to my familiarity with Studio Ghibli movies, honestly, most of my familiarity of the stories come from reading your university essays. Life on. No one needs to know. <laughs> they already know. But, um, but something that uh, one of our editors told me was that how the storytelling in Studio Ghibli movies seems to always, it's like, uh, it just, there's no plan when it comes to when the story's written. It's just, it just goes. And I think that was, I, I could see that when I was watching Born in the Heron, where the story just kind of kept evolving. It's like, you don't know what's going to happen next. You, you think that even, even the writer didn't know what was going to happen next. But it was really cool. Like it always, it kept your attention. You're always trying to figure out what's going on. Like I liked, uh, I liked how when you it started, it started with the with the um, with the fire, which immediately kind of puts you into the the period, Very the time period fire, that, by the way. Uh, that you mentioned. Oh, it was like it was a different Stop. art style mm. when they did the fire than normal Studio Ghibli movies. So that I I was caught off guard by that, and then eventually it came into some place where it's more familiar, and then. You know, the moment the bird, the heron sprouted a nose, I was like, ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> that, that, that was the moment for me. I'm like, okay, there, there's, there's the movie I was waiting for. For me, it was the teeth. Oh, the, te oh, the teeth. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cool looking. I can yeah, only... That's my first impressions. What do you think, Rick? Well, I do agree with you on that. So the presentation at the beginning was definitely different compared to his previous films. Now, as for me, I have seen a couple of his previous works, Studio Ghibli's. My first one that I saw was My Neighbor Totoro. And then I started watching other ones like Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, The Cat Returns, Princess Momonos, uh, Mono... No, okay. Mono, 
Okay. There you go. Oh, no. Thank you. Ponyo and a couple of others. So to see this on the big screen for the first time was an experience for me. I get to witness all the colors of the rainbow that somehow Ghibli knows how to bring to life on the big screen. Now, as far as funny thing, I can't get out of my head the, uh, the way they were running up the stairs. That was funny. But uh, <laughs> Classic. So the storyline, how it started, was a little confusing. But over time, as it progressed, it, told, it started having a structure, which I liked. Okay. Um, when you mean uh, running up the stairs, you mean at the very opening during the fire bombings when they're running on like hand, their hands and feet up the stairs? Yeah, it just it looked very bizarre. Really? Like, see, I can understand the kid, but the father doing it too. Is <laughs> okay, I get that. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're just like crab walking up the stairs. <laughs> okay, I, I see your point. Yeah, it makes sense for kids to do it. I mean, I'm sure we all did it once upon a time, but for a full-grown adult to do it, that hits different. It's a little scary almost. <laughs> that it's scary. But for me, it's classic. Ah, it would be a good word to use. Okay, okay, uh, okay. I'm getting the vibe here. Now, Rek, only one thing is that I know you mentioned teeth. Uh, do you mean like the when the heron is slowly transforming to a human that the teeth start plucking out or just showing in general? A little bit of both because like at first, you know, it's a Ghibli film when it's like all, you know, something bizarre is going to happen. So just seeing the the heron start growing teeth and start like smirking and giggling and all and being all like evil looking like right there you know that oh my god this is, this is where ghibli's magic actually kicks in oh yeah for sure it, it, i can admit that it was a little creepy at first to see such a bird with a big smirk on their face normally you don't see like any of that on a regular basis but overall i think that as far as the bird goes they they made an intriguing character. Like normally they would have the villains very structured or have the, even the backs, like the side characters very like weird in some way or form. But this one I feel was more structured than most. All right. All right. Well, two things I did want to say just off the bat. A, if we saw that movie in English dub, I feel like the impression of the heron would have been a lot more uh menacing almost because robert pattison busting into the studio saying no i want to play the heron especially with his voice i think it would have just added to the creepy factor that you're that you're mentioning wait robert pattison voices the heron in the dub yep yep oh my, my god now i need to see who else is in the dub because i'd watch it just to hear how he says because in my voice like like in my mind i think of like like the way he sounded in the in the subbed. If anyone was wondering, we watched it in subbed because, because of course, <laughs> we just had to. But yeah, I would rewatch the movie just for the dub. Well, here's something to think about. You know the uh, the noble pelican. You know the king. Yep, yep. The one that parakeet or something. Yeah, something like that. That's... Yeah, parakeet. Willem Dafoe. Oh, that's who, who Will, William Dafoe played. Ah, oh, damn. Oh my goodness, you're right. We got a we got a big roster there, but oh, um, and Mark ha Mark Hamill, obviously. Of, of course, He's... of course. 
he's, he's a, a king grand. in voice acting. Mm-hmm. And Christian Bale too. Yeah, yo, Christian Bale playing Howl came back just to play another role. Honestly, bro, they got two Batman's and the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. This. Oh god, oh god. But um, I wanted to just to bring the convo back to the Heron very specifically because I agree with you, Rick, that there is um, what is it that. The heron comes off as a normal-looking animal, somewhat, but then as the story progresses, you see how it sort of evolves to a hu- to a human sort of. I don't think that's very different than what Ghibli's done in the past, because I know Ghibli has often done transformations like that. It could be bod- it could be bodily dismemberment or decay, or even a type of trans trans uh, modification of a human to an animal, or other way around, or to an object. It's not uncommon, but I but I understand what you mean that you're seeing it sort of unravel before your own eyes. Honestly, the heron reminded me of a pelican, like how a pelican can sort of push out its spine from its own mouth or something. It's a little graphic. That's the impression I was getting when looking at uh, the heron just changing into a, a person, well, demi person. Well, like it reminds I... me of the old lady from Spirited Away because it's the same nose. Oh, it's that nose. Yeah. It's the same nose. But yeah, what I think was the... Because, uh... again, this is my first film of Ghibli that I see on the big screen, so my first impression was a lot different than watching the other ones like on a smaller screen or on my phone. So to see a... that happen, <laughs> it, it, was, it was just a little freaky. Just a yeah, little... yeah, and I'm not going to like say it wasn't freaky i'm sure it was but that's what makes ghibli so interesting that they're willing to delve into those depths and push you out of your comfort zone a bit even to the point that that scene where i think it was the frogs were coming over the main character spoiler alert and they were saying join us or what was it feed me i can't i can't remember he was just getting swamped by them and i'm like oh felt like a i don't have claustrophobia personally but i felt very claustrophobic in that scene yeah, no, it was definitely, and you can tell that the, like, even the old women that were in that scene, too, like, it's not the first time that they see something like this happen, so. Yeah, yeah, react- agreed. Yeah, so they reacted like. Oh my god, can we talk about the old women for a moment? Wait, wait, before we do. That caught me so off guard. Well, we will, but I do want to but- mention this, that you guys have pointed one thing out, which is very key to the whole movie, is that. We can, we're following, we're trying to follow along with the story, but at times it feels like, where is it really going? Or something like that. I, Andy, you mentioned it, Rick, you mentioned it. And I believe the reason, the key reason is because the movie originally, The Boy and the Heron, was actually titled, How Do You Live? It was when Miyazaki was making it, but he changed the whole story script and there's a good reason why. And so that's why we get a bit of a, the confusion factor being thrown in, like, where is the story exactly going? So due to later, I think, um, um, what is it? Uh, director changes. Well, not director changes. Sorry, his choice of changing up the changing up the story. But yes, let us talk about the old ladies because best entourage, the old ladies. Oh yeah, like you're, you're everything up until the old ladies seemed very normal, I guess, because like oh he's gonna the father's gonna go with the aunt or marry the sister or whatever you go into this house and it's like okay it just looks like 
pretty normal. There's nothing weird. And then it's just all this entourage, this sea of old ladies, just just like flowing into the corridor, just like, oh, hovering over the suitcase. And, and then they all poke their head out. And they're the funniest looking group of ladies I've ever seen. They're just so cute. Uh, I think I think I audibly gasped in the movie when I saw that because I just thought it was just so funny. <laughs> it's like there it is, the first odd thing to happen in the movie, and then, then of course all all the chaos ensues. But th those old ladies were such a nice touch. I was so confused though. It's like why are they there? But then you learn that they're just good. They're just a bunch of grandmas. I got to help. I got two vibes from that. One being Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, because you had like seven old ladies and then the mistress of the house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the second, and I'd like to go back to the whole like the father marrying the aunt thing. Like, like I, I that part I was a little bit, because I'm not familiar with the culture too much, like, especially in Japan. Like, of course, yes, I've followed what I could because I've watched anime for 15 or so years now, but I still don't get, so is it like a, uh, is it like a Oiron sort of thing? Like, did he f find a bride like that way? Just so I understand, I, I'm just very confused with that part. I'm not sure the hist historical aspects of it, but it felt pretty normalized in the movie. I'm not too familiar about what the social customs would have probably been like in that time in Japan. But it definitely was a big part of the story, you know, how, like, the sister looks so much like the mother, and then the younger sister in the other world ends up saving her technically, uh, technically younger sister. Her older sister, who is younger, the child version, saves her younger sister, who is pregnant. No, no. <laughs> it, it's Imagine a, telling it's this to story to someone who's never seen the movie. Oh my god, would it sound, like, so weird. <laughs> it honestly... If you haven't seen it, see it, please. Yes, yes. We, this, this is totally not a sponsorship for the movie. <clears throat> totally not. But yeah, that... Should be. <laughs> it should be. But, Rec, you are... You're correct in the confusion a bit. But just like Andy uh, pointed out that the aunt... that Well, sorry. The stepmom. I'm going to... She's the stepmom at this point. The stepmom... Looks yeah. so much like uh, her sister, our main yeah. character. Aunt, stepmom, sister, same thing. It's all uh, potato, 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 tomato, tomato, whatever it is. I think that's what really drew the dad in that he didn't feel like he lost his wife, if anything, or has a feeling of closeness. Maybe I'm just reading it too much into that. But that's just what I understood from just that, in, from that interaction. Yeah, like going back with the family you have a good relationship with the family. Yeah, like you maybe you felt a responsibility to take care of the sister. Yeah, after she lost her older sister, so it's understandable he slid into those DMs, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but <laughs> one thing I find a little bit because when you look at the film, it talks about how the boy's handling like the grief of it. Like he just lost his mother; he's still processing the fact that she's gone. And now he's like you got the father too. He lost his wife, and now he got her sister. Like I wouldn't necessarily calling that moving on. Like the boy throughout the movie was trying to go through the whole phase of things happen, life goes on, and just I mean he has a crazier adventure than most people do. But 
the father i feel he didn't really let go as well like i found he just moved on too quick either moved well on they too didn't quick show it they didn't show it but it feels like that yeah no they definitely didn't show much of his grief it was mostly the boy's grief that was the main part the boy and the and the sister but actually i want to talk about something else because the act of self-harm in this movie is not something i've seen in a studio ghibli movie my opinion when when the boy hits himself in the head with the rock true that is very true yeah that that, that was something i haven't seen that scene really in my limited me. studio ghibli knowledge no no it's okay um i found that scene was very provocative to me personally because yeah it's not something i've i've come across in the studio ghibli films from the ones i've seen but Honestly, I felt it was like him trying to wake up in a sense. Like he, he thinks he's in a dream. Like his mom might be still alive. Their parents are still together. That the fire bombings never happened. Stuff like that. I feel like it's like that. But at the same time, maybe it's him trying to get his father's attention because he feels abandoned almost. Because A, his dad um, sort of left him with another woman in a big house and all that to run his factory. Now, now another parallel, like I just want to, put out there another historical parallel is uh Miyazaki's father did own a big house a I say big house but I'm quoting from the from the book uh, his autobiography that I read but he also owned the factory that was um creating sorry they were manufacturing uh, what was it uh, uh airplane parts yeah it was very specifically fan belts or something that were used on the zero fighters which were then used to bomb Pearl Harbor so in this movie, we see that the dad is more like, looks like he's making like the the part of it which goes on top of the plane, the the glass. Uh... The glass casing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah the... that's exactly it. So while his dad is off doing this like uh, for his country, I feel that the son thinks he's been abandoned. So there's that. He wants to get his dad's attention and sort of wake up from this consistent nightmare because even in school we see he's not getting along with the other students and stuff this video is sponsored by nordvpn vpn stands for virtual private network it's a tool that encrypts your internet traffic and hides your ip and virtual location you might be asking yourself why do i need this well you like watching anime right or shopping online or browsing the internet using the public wi-fi but are you aware of the digital snooper it can be anyone such as your internet provider peeking at your internet activities or a cyber criminal attempting to steal your credit card info, or a hacker near you trying to steal your sensitive data. This is where NordVPN comes in. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites, and lets you enjoy your favorite anime content securely and remotely. NordVPN also allows you to overcome internet censorship. All your traffic is routed through a remote server, so you can access websites that are restricted in your country. If you want to watch anime that is only available in Japan and not in your country, then use NordVPN to connect to Japan's server. It's that easy. NordVPN is available on most devices. You can also download NordVPN from the App Store. Use our link to download NordVPN. Get started today to protect yourself. Hey, he gets bullied his first day and then in retaliation... Hits himself in the head with a rock. That was well, a deep rock. Well, it doesn't rock. help. Which is, uh, well, all the, even when you see him walking home from school, you could see, like, the kids there, they didn't have, like, what he had. He didn't, they weren't driven to school or anything like that. The father insisted to give him a lift to school on his first day. 
And as soon as he arrived, you could see from all the students that, oh, look, this kid came in like a car. He must be super fancy and super spoiled and all these other things. And they, that, I think, is what caused most of the, the neglect from all his, well, fellow students. Yeah. Sometimes the gesture of a father giving his son to a, a lift to school could also be the problem that start in school. Like, yeah, yes, you want to fit in, but you're not going to fit in when you know that you're the only person who has the, uh, the upper hand, especially with travel. Like, we saw how long it took him to get home. It's like he said, I'm going to walk home, and he comes across the kids. He walks across the field. He comes across the pond where he smacks himself in the head. Like, you can see it's a long distance of a, of a walk. So right there shows that he has more privilege. Uh, is that a good privilege? Yeah. Privilege. I wasn't sure if it would be a good word, but it is probably the best word to use. So yeah, he wants to be like noticed in that way. If that makes any sense. I say it makes sense. Yeah, like he doesn't want to be seen as the other or different uh, than every everyone else. But didn't he like start a fight on the first day of school? I don't know what the conversation between him and the other kids were. They were all wearing the same hat, like, uh, uh, what is it? Like a military hat or something? I've seen that hat so many times. So I'm like, okay, he's trying to join a club or something, or uh, I don't know, trying to fit in. But after one shove, he gets into a fight. I'm like, well, there goes your plan to fit in, my friend. Like, you could have walked away, but no, you chose violence. I think the hat was just a part of the school uniform. Maybe, maybe. That's a good way to show off the, like, yeah, that, that whole part was him dealing with grief. And even the part with, like, his dad is, you know, like, really, like, encouraging, like, oh, I'll drive you to school, son. It's probably his way of also trying to grieve as well. Like, oh, trying to make his son happy by, you know, showing him there's nice things, giving him nice things, not realizing that, like, that there's, there's, it's a, the, that old, the, the, like, the, Un, um, emotionally unavailable father who like has a lot of love for their son but doesn't know how to express emotional vulnerability you know like that old style of parenting which is I, I guess it was it reflected that pretty well you know like because you knew the father still loved the kid just didn't know how to help him through the grief hoping that the uh the the new the stepmom would be able to do more of it, but he he closed himself off to the stepmom right away at the beginning, and then made up for it later. Very very cool, interesting how they really threaded the family dynamic and 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 throughout the whole movie because that that's what the whole movie was really about, wasn't it? Like just the family dynamic getting over grief and and uh, also a bit of a coming of age story too, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it's a it's a mixed batch, I would say. Oh, sorry, Rick, you were gonna say something. Uh, I was just gonna say I like how the boy picked up archery as a uh, little side thing, just like the uh, just like I the ant as well. Like when he saw that she was able to harm like the heron or fear away all these monsters with just a bow and arrow, like that I found was nice. So even though that he she wasn't the his actual mother, he was still able to pick up like a skill from her, like to show like an interest in something, something that connects the two of them almost. 
Oh, that's a good parallel, actually. Now that I think about it, yeah. Yeah, that, that is accurate. And he continued to do so even while in, uh, what was it? The tower, uh, right? It was a tower? Was it a building? I, I can't remember. It was something. It was a tower. Thank you. I was thinking of God's Tower for some reason. I mean, oh, I technically, yes, isn't it? It's a God's Tower. We can, we can say that much. Yeah. But yeah. Grandpa God. Grandpa God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With that, though, um, now, this is something I'm, maybe you guys picked up on it if you saw Howl's Moving Castle, but when the main character, Mahito, I, I almost forgot his name, Mahito being in the tower, he he, he meets, let's be honest, um, he meets his mother that, that disappeared in her youth when she was, I don't know, maybe 10 years old or so. It's It's threaded in the story that his mother went missing for a year. And came out of the tower later on. So he runs into her. And so the time really slips in that movie. But there's a particular scene when his mother, his young mother, sorry, is leading him out of the tower into a hallway of doors. Those doors honestly reminded me of uh, the doors from Howl's Moving Castle. When um, in the castle that the young uh, wizard, uh, I forget, his assistant was flipping through the dials and each door was opening to another place. It had the same uh, uh, stained glass window at the top, the, the green colored door door and everything. So I was like, oh, there's the there's the Howl's Moving Castle inspiration I was looking for. So canonically, they're in the same universe. Can we can we call that now? Miyazaki's uh, cinematic universe confirmed. Oh. It's all in universe. It's all one one place. <laughs> Disney could do crossovers. So can Ghibli. Exactly. Exactly. So and uh, Andy, uh, I, I, we almost missed the mark on this, but speaking of the grandmas, it's funny how we run into one of the grandmas who's her younger self in that world. Bro, she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> hell yeah are you, are you total, kidding total I, the moment i saw that character i was like "Ooh, who's that and i thought it was a guy and then the moment i heard a female voice i was like oh who is that who is this person <laughs> was, i was i think i forget it was had to be somebody who was sitting next to me i think who mentioned that that was the grandmother like somebody hint, got wind of it before i got wind of it and then like, you know what? i don't care <laughs> i don't care it's still still hot I mean, we were. But that, that was cool. That was because I was wondering where the grandma went when they all sunk into the floor. And then I see this character come in, I'm like, oh shit. Hello. I liked how the grandma, <laughs> like, immediately knew that, okay, we need to turn back. And even though the boy still went in, she's like complaining the entire time. I can't believe this. What are we doing in here? She's like all panicky and standing behind him. She's the adult figure. She should be protecting him. Not hiding behind him. Jeez. <laughs> some per some guardian she is. Damn, Rick, you ought to get the you ought to get her. I'm I'm sensing something here, man. You wanna talk? Hey, she well, redeemed herself and her younger self, you know? She she was like, I am okay, I'm ready for this adventure. I'm yeah, ready. <laughs> I'm gonna show you how to butcher this fish. And I'm gonna show you the wada wada. My God, those things were adorable. Those were so cute. When they started getting killed by those two pelicans, I was so pissed. And then I started feeling bad for the pelicans. And I'm like, okay, well, no, I, I can't, I can't hate anybody in this, in this, in this movie. I gotta feel bad for everybody. It's Everyone's a vicious sad, cycle. Depressed. Even the damn annoying ass parakeets. It's like, oh, they do, oh, they, they just want to live, but they're really annoying. <laughs> really fine. 
attacking him. They're very uh, hungry for flesh. Yo, that they were. Those are man-eating parakeets. My God. Yes. Everything's getting colorful yet so scary. Until the castle, and they just turned into regular birds that uh, football all over the father. That was a great. That was a great exit scene because I was like. How is this going to work? Are they going to be humongous man-eating parakeets? Then they just shift to their usual size and just poop all over them as they fly away. That was great. <laughs> nice touch. <laughs> Very. Touche. Oh, but, sorry, I got to mention this. The Wara Wara literally felt like a callback to Princess Mononoke and the little tree spirits. You know, the ones with the heads and everything that rotate? I forget their name. Ah, I remember those. I don't remember what the names are, but I, I remember that scene. Yeah. It felt very parallel to that. Like different concepts from Ghibli movies were just being thrown in. But honestly, that's what I see in every film at this point. It's like, that's a Ghibli thing. That's a Ghibli thing. That might be a Ghibli thing. Oh, that is a Ghibli thing. It's stuff like that. I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> I have a problem. It's okay. We love you anyway. <laughs> that actually leads me to something else. Um, What was it? What what did you guys think about the old man, the the god of the tower, as I like to call him sometimes? Or the old man, god tower, whatever you want to call him. Grandpa God. Thank you, Grandpa God, Grandpa the god, godfather. Yeah. I'll let you start, Rick. What, how do you think of uh, Grandpa God? <laughs> well, right away, I can tell he's a wise old man. However, the way he was portrayed was a little... I, I felt very, almost little, to, no effort put into him. Like, okay, so he's been building this tower for God knows how long. And now he's talking about how he's reaching the end and he needs the boy to be his little successor. Okay, great. Elaborate. He does elaborate, but he doesn't go like deep enough into why he needs to keep this castle going or what kind of decision should be made in order to keep this world from not existing anymore. But it's just like he was passing on a role to a boy that has no knowledge of what he can or cannot do. He's just trying to find his aunt, get out of there, find a way to save his mother, and move on from this great adventure that he's somehow walked upon. So. Really, I, I didn't really feel too great for the guy. I get I There wasn't that. very much developed for him, really. But I, I do agree. It was kind of just like you're thrusting all this responsibility on a young boy who's like, I don't know, 10. Who, like you said, just wanted to get his, find his mom. Or figure out what the heck was going on in the tower. Because curiosity that really got him. Actually, no, sorry. It was the, the stepmom that got kidnapped that got him. Anyway, it was... I'm just curious, like, how the decision was kind of made, or, like, he makes this perfect world, but it's not perfect anymore, it's just overrun by parakeets. I, I really wish I understood what was going on in the grandpa's mind when it came to creating that whole world to begin with. Like, why did, why was it so crappy in a way? Like, I, I guess you could also say, like, life always has to have a balance in some way, and then... Oh, uh, I just I just answered my own question. Yeah, life has to have a balance because he's balancing the the stupid the thingies. Every great creation, even your own personal project, you could build all the good th things to make it look nice. But 
what you forget about is the amount of paper or like deleted footage you did prior in order to get there. So in, I guess, his case, he had to go through a lot of trial and error before he made this world that for what he sees is great. But all these other things that he created that he thought would look good could have just lingered into his world. And then these things turned into something that he had no control over. So he completely dismissed it, and now he's got all these creatures, all these monstrous beings, and he had no intention of having these things in his perfect world, but they now exist. So now he has to kind of, like you said, balance everything out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of happy that in the end, the place got destroyed. Because in my mind, I was thinking like, oh, is he going to take over? But I think the idea of, you know, great work finding its end was kind of nice, even if you kind of consider it, it was like the afterlife type of situation. You're destroying a world in the afterlife. I don't know. I, I liked I liked the way that it went. Would you guys have preferred, you know, the kid to take over the being king of hell or or what or uh, you guys like like how it ended? If I had to change any bit of the ending, though, I guess, because we know he leaves, but one thing I think that would have been nice to see is, like, as they're, like, going away, like, whether on the that guy's bicycle or even in, like, the car, like, you would see, like, the boy look out the window, and you would see, like, the heron in the background, like, kind of giving, like, a nod for one last time before he, like, drives away to whoever he was going next. Like, that's how I would change the... Other than that, I really liked how it turned out. What about you, Lefon? Oh, okay. So I couldn't have said it better myself. Like, uh, Rek and yourself have hit all the, all the nails on the head for what I could possibly say about uh, my thoughts on the old man and the boy making the right decision, yes or no. But this is uh, actually plays on something I did mention earlier. So um, it actually has f- come full circle, and uh, I'm happy I can finally say this because I was trying to figure out when was the right time to discuss it. <laughs> so it's Sorry. it's okay, it's okay. It goes uh, something like this: that as I mentioned, Miyazaki did a, a heavy amount of editing and made a lot of changes. That's why we felt a weird sense of the pacing of the story. Like, where is it exactly going? Now the old man actually had a bigger role to play because because Studio Ghibli was founded by Miyazaki. Isao Tokahada and Toshio Suzuki. Now, Miyazaki and Isao were the directors. Toshio, if I recall, was the producer, but they were very close friends. And in this movie, actually, the old man represents Takahada, Miyazaki being the young lad. (laughs) Sorry, the young young boy, because it is a direct um, reflection of his childhood somewhat. There's some discrepancies, but that's okay. And Toshio was actually the uh, personification of the heron. Now, the thing is, Takahata did pass away a few years ago. And so that's what really drove Miyazaki up the wall. He's like, I was making this movie as a dedication to him. It's not exactly confirmed, but in some interviews it was confirmed. And so he, with all the editing he had to do, the role of the old man sort of got played. But it still came down to the same message that Takahata was trying to pass on the torch to Miyazaki, like, t- like you take over now, like, uh, you lead uh, Studio Ghibli and stuff like that. But we saw 
Miyazaki or Mahito in this case said, no, I'm going to forge my own path. And so I would say Miyazaki or Mahito in this case did the right thing that he wanted to carve out his own path and go through the motions on his own terms rather than taking something that was already done, that was perfected and trying to ruin it, if anything. I'm not saying Miyazaki would or Mahito would, but it wasn't necessary to try to continue that. So, yes, Mahito made the right decision. The character of God could have been flushed out a bit more, but that's okay. Because, honestly, it was a story about how Mahito... I keep saying Mahito. Ma oh my god, I'm thinking of JJK for some reason. Just say Mojito, one of my favorite cocktails. <laughs> the boy was was just going through the motions on his own and i think he did it on his own terms so i'm content with what how it played out and what would happen i would have liked to have seen the world a bit more because i'm always curious about these worlds that are made uh, the brainchild of miyazaki it's always just interesting like what's happening here how does this work stuff like that well that's just me it was cool it was cool to see the afterlife as just one giant pirates caribbean reference <laughs> well, the, is it? And I was like, oh, that's all those lost souls are on those ships. I'm like, I'm sorry, Pirates Caribbean. Yeah, this, and the... we're we are in Davy Jones' locker, pretty much. <laughs> the cycle rebirth, starting a very old. Uh, I think it's a it's old Japanese ideology, if I recall. The cycle rebirth. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember. But to see it, like this is what it looks like. We look like nothing. We look all fat and happy. We float away, but then doesn't always go according to plan i'm like whoa that hits levels yes then you awake and you have to pay taxes it's terrifying andy do you need to talk <laughs> no it's i got therapy on tuesday it's fine <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm just thinking if there's anything else uh did we miss um actually there was one scene particularly that really pushed me out sort of like it had a it just left an impression. It's not even the character of Old Man God or anything. It had to be the delivery room scene and the aunt getting the yeah, getting mad all of a sudden and saying, Why are you here? I hate you, blah, blah. But in the real world, you were like, come see me. I want to get close to you. And now you pull a whole, whole 180. So I'm like, what? Well, because he was neglecting her, and then I think I, I'd like to think that her illness actually was just like the simple well, her being sick was pregnancy, but also the emotional re the oh, what was it like the depression that came from being rejected by your new son was just kind of that, and the hormones being pregnant kind of threw her into being sick, and then of course that led to that resentment going into the tower and all that. Like, like it was a it was a mix of emotions like like you said it's like push push and pull really because he pushed her away and then she's pushing her away but then he's pushing back like he's pushing forward harder enough to finally you know they i i think it was when he called her mom that kind of it got better was that was that what happened i, I think he did say it at one point maybe it was maybe we saw it in the english sub maybe maybe it might not be the case but i feel like yeah i agree that in all cases everyone seems to run away from responsibility to a degree but they make their way back like the father sort of did it 
Um, Mahito does it. He's even walking away, trying to walk away from the fact that I'm going to be a brother. I don't feel ready because my dad isn't ready to accept his grief. And it just sort of snowballs, if I had to say. And the and now the aunt was doing it. But now she now that, like you said, he's come and he's ready to like sort of own up, own, own up to it, accept her. She's like, no, why are you here? And all of that. So I see the push and pull factor. I'm actually seeing it now. I didn't really think about it. What about you, Rick? Yeah, I can see how it was a... I can see the tension, that's for sure. Like, before, like Andy was saying, he wasn't sure if he could accept the fact that this is going to be his new mother, and now that he's come this far to come save her, just to hear her say that she hates him and that she's very neglectant towards him, like, that really puts a perspective on of asking himself is this is this really what i came here for is this really the what she wanted to say to me after i came to come rescue her but in reality he knew right away that even though that she's not who he thought she was this is not her mother this is not some particularly anyone that she was really attached to but this is his one moment to save something of his mother as well. Because he wasn't, at the beginning of the film, we saw it, he's unable to save his mother. She is caught in the flames. There's no way to save her. This is his chance to himself of redemption. Okay, I didn't I didn't make that correlation. And I like that you're making that correlation, Rek, uh, because, once again, another little fun fact for you, is that Miyazaki's mom, his real mom, she wasn't burnt alive by any means. He didn't have the best relationship with his mom or his family, so I find this might be, like, a message to them saying, not like I'm sorry, but I wish it could have been different. Maybe. I'm reading a little too much into it. But you're right, honestly, that he couldn't save his mom, but now he has a chance to save someone who looks very much like her. And was going to be playing mm -hmm. the role of his mom now. So, coincidence? The next best thing. Not. <laughs> exactly, the next best thing. <laughs> you're right, coincidence, I think not. Never. There's never coincidences oh, not... in Miyazaki films. All intentional. Exactly, exactly. So... Well, for me, I wouldn't say so much, like, because they look the same, because... Then again, it's anime. All characters more or less look the same. <laughs> but, uh... Well, that was but... a part of the story. Yeah, it's more the part of the story that really is the, the hitter for me. It's like, this is someone that's got, like, the same... Almost the same blood as he does. Yeah. Like, mm. this, he's saving family. Mm. It's a call out to save his family. Because family means everything. Oh no! I said it. <laughs> oh no! Not not another Fast and Furious reference. Oh, I was thinking Lulu and Stitch. Oh. Uh, okay, that's wholesome enough. So. Or Hamlin's family. So uh, I think uh, we've reached a good point in the podcast to end the episode, but very quickly, I I'm just gonna say this: Would you recommend the movie to? Would you basically recommend the movie to a friend who? Has seen anime, hasn't seen anime. I have friends who have not seen anime, but I know for a fact they would not have the patience to uh, 
watch this. Because it's a good film. It's just, you need to have patience, I find. It's Ghibli. They, it, he doesn't necessarily do action every 20 to 30 seconds. Okay, all right. What about you, Andy? I think this is a fantastic Studio Ghibli film. I think I think a lot of people could probably find a lot of love in it, but if I were going to recommend it to a friend, I would recommend a different Studio Ghibli movie. I would recommend more Howl's Moving Castle or Spirited Away or even My Neighbor Totoro just because like, Spirited Away, I think, is like a really good intro to Studio Ghibli since that was the first uh, Studio Ghibli movie that got a lot of Western recognition for its story. I don't know that that that's what I would do. I I would uh, I I I'll turn like here here's Howl's Moving Castle. You might not understand the story, but he's really hot. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going there. I just knew. I will always go there. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm approximately around the same lines. I wouldn't recommend this to someone who hasn't seen anime, but if someone who has seen, I'd say yeah, check it out. And tell me what you think. What are your two uh, two pieces or a penny for your thoughts on this? Stuff like that. So, yeah, that's that's about it. So I'm going to wrap up the episode for tonight. So, everyone, I want to thank you for tuning in, in either now or after the fact when this episode drops. I believe we made a good amount of segue into the topic. We hit all the big points, the parts on that we didn't really understand, parts we like, dislike, a bit of confusion here and there. And of course, me just dropping historical fact and fun fact one after the other. I just really wanted to do good for this film, this review, I mean. And I think I've done that. And it was thanks to my panelists who were able to, um, was a parallel as well as even compliment whatever I was talking about, even when I was bantering. I know they... I know they were getting tired of it, but heck, had to do it. Never. I'll never <laughs> get tired of it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, guys, be sure to check out our social media handles. At the, at the following, we got Instagram, Think Otaku Crew, the Facebook page, the official Otaku Crew, the Twitch channel, the official Otaku Crew, and the Discord squad. My name is Leifon, everyone. We'll see you all next time. Peace out, guys. Later. Later.